Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. So, Jeff has a new pocket computer. Ooh. No, 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 no. I have a new camera that also does a couple of other things. Yes, it's a camera. And not only do you have a camera, but you have a pro camera. But you've only got the sort of middling pro camera. You didn't get the pro max camera. This is true. I have like, uh, I don't know, what are we going to say? The It's not the mini pro because the mini is now a separate thing. It's the semi pro. It's the semi pro. Yes. <laughs> so now in the current lineup, there are how many different cameras? Three, because the regular iPhone 12 has one camera, the Pro has different camera features, and the Pro Max has different camera features. That's correct. Does the Mini have different camera features as well? The Mini camera has the same lenses and the same hardware as uh, the iPhone 12. And it's, it's the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max that add the telephoto lens, and then there are some more hardware differences with the Max. But I think we can consider the 12 and the 12 mini are basically the same. It's just a different form factor. So I'm looking at Apple's webpage for the iPhone 12 Pro, and I'm trying to understand why there is a difference in the camera between the Pro and the Pro Max. Yes, the Pro Max is bigger, so there's a little bit more room, but they don't need that much more room. Um, the Pro has three cameras. I, I hate when we have to say it's three cameras because technically it's three lenses that all go to the same sensor, right? Um, no. It's three no, sensors. No, actually, three sensors, three cameras, three sensors. Okay, so yeah. the Pro yeah. has a 13 millimeter, a 26 millimeter, and a 52 millimeter. The Pro Max has 13, 26, and 65 millimeter. Yes. Note that the 65 millimeter has an f2.2 aperture. The 52 has an f2.0. Um, the Pro Max medium lens, the 26 millimeter, has 1.7 micrometer pixels compared to the 1.4 micrometer pixels on the 12 Pro. And other than that, they're all the same. And I find this incredibly confusing. Uh, oh, no, yes. I should, there's one other thing. The Pro Max on the 26 millimeter has sensor shift optical image stabilization, and the Pro just has optical image stabilization. So so the, the sensor shift autofocused, the sensor itself is actually moving to account for uh, motion in the camera, whereas the optical image stabilization that we've known for a while, that is the lens itself moves. So right. it's... A, it's a different style, like the, they're both accomplishing the same thing, but sensor shift stabilization is better because it's it's moving less hardware. I mean, you know, we're not talking about massively large pieces of kit like like you'd have, you know, a a lens on a on a DSLR or something. But moving the sensor is from what I understand, is a little more sensitive and does a better job because you're not moving glass, quote-unquote. Right. So the thing that I find annoying about the iPhone is most people don't really care about any of this. Um, here, here's the thing. Kind of. Well, no, here's okay. the thing. You're going to get people Go who are going to buy the regular iPhone 12 or the iPhone mini because... They don't need the more expensive one. Then you're going to get the people who are going to go for the Pro, and I doubt they're going to be choosing one model over the other for the camera, but more for the size of the of the phone itself. 
Uh, kind of, yeah. There's probably a minority of people who buy the Pro Max for the camera, but most people, they're just picking the one which is the size that they want. Yes. And just thinking it's got three cameras and it's great, but not really caring about these little differences. Yes. No, no, no that, that's exactly right. Um, and, and in fact, uh, you know, even though we are sort of focused on photography, I decided to go for the Pro for exactly that reason. So the, the, the Pro Max, in addition to uh, what we just mentioned with the, with the sensor shift, one of the big differences is that the wide camera, so the regular standard middle camera, um, the sensor also has larger pixels, which attract more light. And so your low light uh, performance is going to be better. And just in general, the image quality is going to be better. Now, I can't really say how much better for your sort of average shot. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, I know Austin Mann, who is a photographer who gets these cameras early, uh, he did an interesting review looking at, at differences. And um, there are all sorts of different uh, comparisons online. And the gist seems to be if you get the max, you are getting a better camera. How much better depends on what you want to use it for. Now, you're obviously coming from the the perspective of your average everyday person who do they want to carry a phone that is manageable or do they want to carry a phone that they must use with both hands and pull out of a bag like a small laptop? Uh, <laughs> and, and I have to well, say, no, like a small iPad, like a small iPad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and for me, even though I, you know, I am a photographer and I would definitely go for the higher specs of the cameras, uh, just every day, day in and day out, the max size is just too much for me. Like I've, I've tried it. I've, I've had the larger size phones before and it's just uncomfortable to use all the time. So um, what's interesting is that with the previous, the, the 11 Pro models, you, you had the same hardware throughout, whether you got the Max or the, or the regular Pro, everything was the same. And so you knew that you were getting the same camera regardless of the size. And, and so the size was really just a personal preference. And now, you have to make that that decision of all right, how much do I want to give up? And in this case, uh, you know, for me, I I just can't use a phone that big. See, now me, I, I had I went to the clown shoe sized phone with the eight plus, <laughs> <laughs> and then I followed up with the XS Max. But I went back to the iPhone eleven because. Well, it was one third less per month. I'm on the upgrade plan. And of course, I didn't upgrade this year because you have to go to stores. And I really don't want to go to an Apple store to upgrade. And they're closed now anyway. Um, so I'm keeping my iPhone 11. I really don't care about a new iPhone that much. But I really like the bigger one. And I'll tell you why. I don't go around very much. I'm mostly using my iPhone at home. Right. And it's better to have a bigger display I've actually been thinking recently, I should just use my iPad mini at home, but there are a couple of apps that aren't on the iPad mini. The watch, uh, the Apple watch has to pair with an iPhone, can't pair yeah. with an iPad. Um, you can sort of 
route calls to an iPad, but it's not the same. You can't make calls from an iPad. Right. So there are some limitations. If I were going pro, I would have spent $100 more because that's all it is um, to get the Pro Max. Now, I'm comparing on Apple's compare site, and the XS Max is marginally bigger than the Pro, but the Pro Max is marginally bigger than the XS Max. So I, I would call it two steps bigger, and it's probably a lot bigger than what I would expect compared to my previous experience. Also, smaller bezels, bigger display. It's going to look more like a phablet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and what's interesting about this, I think, is that, um, you know, we've immediately jumped away from talking about the cameras to the form factor. And this just reinforces something that we've said for a long time, and I, I know we've mentioned early in the podcast. You can have all sorts of great specifications but if a camera is not comfortable in your hand, you're not going to use it. And especially with a phone, and you know, th this is where I come down on, on the side of, of choosing the side of this. You know, I'm not as mobile as I used to be, thanks to the pandemic. I spend most of my time at home. But I still use my phone a lot, and so that means picking it up and, 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 and working with it. And if I'm not comfortable just using that regularly then I'm going to be also uncomfortable using it as a camera when I do use it as a camera, which is fairly often. So one of the features that the iPhone 12 Pro has that I think the other ones don't have is a LiDAR scanner. It's what's used in the Face ID camera, so it can detect distances, and this means that it can focus a lot better in low light. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically projecting like a, a, a series of dots, um, infrared dots that can determine distance and depth. And so one advantage to that is being able to focus in low light. It also does a better job of uh, shooting the portrait mode photos. So um, I, I, we should probably mention, um, I went out and I did some comparison shooting with uh, my old 11 Pro and then this new 12 Pro. And uh, we'll put those images in the show notes and also you'll be able to view it as you're uh, watching the podcast in some players but um, the lidar is one of those things that I think Apple is is including the technology because it's going to help them more so everyone else because it's it's great for for um, doing AR augmented reality stuff it just it speeds up the detection of surfaces and and all of that from the photography standpoint I like that they are using it to help improve low light focusing. Um, it, when you're shooting in regular daylight, uh, I, I don't think the LiDAR even comes on. Uh, so it, it, it's not giving you a benefit there, but it, it does kick in, in in the low light. And that's good. So what about this new HDR3? HDR3. So um, it's funny because one of the things... You haven't noticed it. Well, I've noticed it. <laughs> So, Because I'm looking at a picture on the Apple website where H smart HDR3 captures every bit of golden hour magic, pulling out all the texture in the rock while staying true to the subtle blues of the sky. Ooh, well, gosh, that sounds really nice. Um, yep. I, I think, so looking at my shots, and, and I should probably say this at the outset, I did do some walking around uh, shooting. 
I did not go out with the intent of I'm going to do a real comprehensive comparison. So uh, partially because, dear listener, you can find these kind of comparisons everywhere. Um, Partially because I've been very busy and I haven't had a chance to really go anywhere. Um, So a a lot of... uh, a lot of what I'm going to say is is purely uh, subjective, but I have noticed that in some scenes, uh, the iPhone 12 is applying more sharpening, and there's definitely, I think, an increased quality in, in HDR shots. So s- some of the photos that I took, I snuck away for a day and went to a little town called Leavenworth, Washington, uh, basically just to get the end of the fall color up here. And funnily enough, I actually brought my 11 Pro and forgot to grab it at all to take any sample shots because I was focused more on just shooting with my with my Fuji. But I did take some shots. And there are some examples that I'll put in the show notes that are really, I think, good examples of the HDR in action because uh, you're getting texture in the sky. It was a cloudy day. But it was also, you know, overcast with some bright areas and there was some snow on the ground. So you're getting some of that, that, that bright white from the snow. And just in general, the HDR did a really good job of, of capturing all of the tones of the scene without going crazy. I mean, to, to Apple's great credit, this is not the HDR of old where it just looks completely overdone and terrible. I think, based on my impressions, the the HDR3 in the 12 is doing a better job of sharpening. It's doing a better job of uh, saturating the colors. If you'll notice some of the, the comparison shots that I made just around the neighborhood, the colors in the trees are much more saturated and more akin to what I was looking at, or at least what I thought I was looking at. So I'm looking at your photos and I'm looking at Apple's photos. And one thing that I find is that the lack of models, (laughs) no, Apple's photos look a lot better than yours. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with yours. He's just straight out of camera, right? You didn't do anything to them. That's correct. Well, Apple, it looks like they did a lot to them. It looks like they've Hmm. really, really done work on the colors and the, and the lighting and the sharpening. And it's, it's not a question of the quality of the actual photographs, but when you look that they've got striking photos on the website and yours look closer to average photos that come from a camera phone. I mean, as you say, the colors are more saturated, but. I think Apple's tr- cheating a little bit when they put these photos on the website. You know, you always expect them to be just, they, these are the photos that come out, but I think they're applying some sort of post-processing to these photos. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think that, um, so you're just looking at, at Apple's just iPhone 12 Pro site. On the iPhone 12 Pro page where there's about a dozen different photos yeah. of different types and some portraits and black and white and color, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would not surprise me at all to, to th- know that they're doing some post-processing. Um, I know that a couple of these images, they said during the announcement of the phone uh, that they were untouched. So we'll have, we'll have to see. Not, not that that's wrong, because if you can just put them into the Photos app and click the magic wand 
and get these results, I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, you know, it's it, it's also that marketing thing. Like, there's one image that I think is is kind of funny, and this is this is just an Apple marketing uh, uh, gaff, I think. Uh, th- there's a photo on the website. There's a guy uh, wearing kind of a, a tiger print jacket, and he's on a bed, and there's like uh, like one lamp in the background, and it says, even with a single small light source, LiDAR, and our A14 Bionic can render every pattern and texture. And I'm looking at this picture, and I'm like, well... There's a light source coming from the right. There's one There's coming a, from... It looks like it's coming from a window. Yeah. There's definitely some light coming from the front, but not straight on, because you see the, the shadow on his nose is on the left side. So it's yeah. still right-weighted lighting, but it's not a s- single small light source. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's... You know, it's it's marketing. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, the, the, the shots that I took, which uh, I was trying to just, you know walk around the neighborhood and, and see what I could get, um, especially, you know, for the, this comparison stuff. Um, you don't get all these well-dressed models hanging out in your neighborhood, leaning on trees and... I don't. It's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> where do they all go? <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that they talk about is lens correction. We were discussing this before the show. Um, they have lens correction on the ultra-wide lens. So this is the 13-millimeter focal length. Of course, uh, when Apple's giving these focal length, these are 35 millimeter equivalents. Because if you look in the Photos app, um, you'll see the actual focal length of the lens. So I just took a picture of a loaf of bread earlier, and it says it's the iPhone 11 back dual camera, 4.25 millimeters. So they're converting this into 35 millimeter equivalents, which is a good shorthand for people to make a comparison. Um, lens correction. So you've got a photo which you're going to put on the website. It is a photo of a... I guess it's a maple tree, orange leaves in front of a house. You've got some power lines coming across. And the one thing that I noticed is the truck at the bottom right is really long. It's like one of those elongated trucks. And, of course, that's the distortion from the wide-angle lens. And I would have expected that to be more corrected. But you took a similar photo of the same place with your iPhone 11 Pro. And you can see the power lines are curved. So there definitely is some correction going on in there that's better than previously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, in this shot, that truck is going to be distorted because it was at the absolute edges of the ultra-wide lens, and, and I was very close to it. It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, you look at this shot, it looks like I'm standing far away from this tree, but I was actually really pretty close. That's just what, yeah. what the ultra-wide angle does. So, yeah, there's some uh, distortion correction, and that's actually a setting in the uh, camera settings in the settings app. So th- there are a few different settings in here that's actually, um, I actually had not even noticed until after I'd been shooting for a little while. So lens correction is one of them. So you can turn that off if you think that it's maybe being too aggressive. Um, the examples that I tried to use, I, I tried to shoot like some fences and, and things where you would notice a real uh, definite angling around the edges. And uh, for the most part, I, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a huge amount of difference. Um, I did not turn the setting off because I, I forgot that it was there. I, I just thought it was being automatically applied. But uh, what does seem to be happening is the camera is 
correcting for this when you're shooting. It's not doing this as, as like a post-processing step. So that's, that's kind of nice. I think just because the ultra-wide is so wide, um, it's wide enough that if you're not careful the way you're holding the phone, you can actually get like uh, your finger in the shot. So lens correction isn't new. In fact, I'm surprised that the lens correction is in camera and that you can't um, adjust it in the Photos app because you may not want it on all the time or you may want it on. So that means if you don't turn it on, are you going to get the correction in the Photos app? Um, we'll link in the show notes to an article I wrote in 2017 when I had noticed that the Photos app was doing lens correction. And it turns out that um, Apple does have lens profiles for a lot of lenses and it does do automatic correction. I found this by opening a photo in Affinity Photo and turning off lens correction and then looking at the same photo in the Photos app. And you'll see that there are some slight differences in lines and particularly in the lighting um, and the vignetting uh, in the photo in my example. So it is something that the Photos app does automatically and you can't turn it off. I kind of want to be able to turn that off in the camera. Now, we have something that's coming soon, Apple Pro Raw, where you're going to get a raw file in addition to a JPEG. And I wonder if in that case, you won't necessarily have the lens correction or you'll have an option later to apply it or not. Hmm. Um, lens correction is definitely one of those things that's written into raw files. So I would hope that there'll be a little more a little more control over that. Um, as we're recording this, uh, the ProRAW format is available in the beta, like the most recent uh, iOS beta, but I haven't installed it and haven't tried working with it yet. Uh, so is there anything else that's different in particular with iOS 14 that's worth knowing? Well, there's one thing that, that is specific to the 12 photos is uh, there's a, a scene detection setting, uh, again, in settings uh, camera. And basically what this says is it says automatically improve photos of various scenes using intelligent image recognition. Now, I have to say so far I can't tell the difference of, of what it's doing. This is another one of those uh, Apple magical AI hand wavy things that um, I just went out and shot a couple shots outside and um, they're you know completely unremarkable shots but I didn't notice a difference between having it on and having it off so one problem is you don't really know like what sort of scenes it's looking for is it going to be doing something uh, my, my guess is it probably affects more standard things like it'll know that you're shooting a sunset or a sunrise and maybe apply different corrections for it or uh, maybe a portrait I'm not quite sure so th this is something and actually I haven't seen anyone uh, online really mention this other than here's how to turn it on and off um, it, well it, Jeff a, you need to do some research on this I do need to do some research <laughs> there's so much to do um, but it's I guess one of my issues with it is that, uh, you know, it, it's a scene detection, and as a photographer, I would like to know what it's doing, because it's just going to do its thing, and I assume that that's, that's burned into the, the image. Now, I recognize that just by saying that, I've kind of stepped aside from 99% of the people who 
just want to take a picture and have it be a good picture. And that's, but they don't listen course, to this podcast. But they don't listen to this. They should listen to this podcast, they but they yeah. don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I want to know more about what it's doing. But I think, you know, most likely it's going to know some sort of standard uh, scenes, like like I said, like, like a sunset, where it will know, okay, this looks like a sunset. We're going to saturate the reds a little bit more, or we're going to... I don't know what it would do, but it it's just kind of an interesting black box as wondering, okay, is this just going to make things better? Yeah. Um, so what about handling? So we're back to the straight edges um, with surgical grade stainless steel. Yes. Does that make it easier to use the camera? You know what? Actually, it does. I have never been a person who really uses a case on my phones. Really? Yeah, I you I hate, you shoot without protection. I shoot without protection. Yeah, I shoot naked, uh, naked phones. That is, um, yeah. I've I have always kind of resisted the idea that I'm going to spend a lot of money on a pretty phone with great industrial design and then cover it up in in some bulky case. How many times have you broken screens? The only time I've broken a screen Just was one. when I had a case on it. Really. Yes. That's funny. Okay. I've yeah. never broken a screen and I've always <laughs> used cases. So that's yeah. an interesting data point because the other day, every once in a while, I take my case off to clean the dust out and all that. And I'm looking at yeah. it, it's like, wow, this really does feel, it's thin like this. It's nice. And, you know, it's a different, and, and the, the, the normal minimal amount of sweat on your fingers actually makes it easy to grip on, uh, particularly this one with the glass back. So I have the 11. Um, yeah. But then just the idea that I'm going to do that and that's the day I'm going to drop it. We have these flagstones in the hall in the kitchen here. That's the oh, day yeah. I'm going to drop it and break it. Yep. That's pretty much guaranteed, yes. <laughs> so but, so, the, so the flat sides do make it easier to hold. I actually think that they do, actually. It's it's more comfortable to hold, um, and it, it's a little more comfortable to hold when you're shooting it, uh, photos. Um, oh, actually, that, that brings up another, another new setting in iOS 14, uh, since you asked, and I only just remembered. Um, so before, if you uh, held down the shutter button on the screen it would do the rapid burst shooting mode. And I believe it was in iOS 13, they changed this. So if you press and hold the shutter button, then it starts recording a video. And there's a way you can like slide your finger over. It's, it's really sort of awkward. I've always hated it. So in iOS 14, there's now an option where you can press the volume up button and use that in burst mode and not have to deal with with the the on-screen shutter button at all. And I find that especially when I'm shooting in like a horizontal landscape, I'm more likely to press one of the volume buttons to shoot than to try to, you know, manipulate and tap the screen and all of that. It's true that the pressing that button is ideal if you're shooting in TikTok mode. Yes. Yeah. Because your thumb's going to fall near the button. But when you're doing something, taking an actual photo in landscape, as you say, you just, your thumb's not there and, and it's a weird position to put your thumb there. I've always found yeah, that. Yeah. Also, uh, shooting selfies, um, 
like when I want to take a picture of my family and I, and so, you know, my hand's like really far outstretched, um, trying to do that one-handed and touch the screen is actually difficult to do. So it's a lot easier to just, I actually end up having like half of the, the phone screen uh, covered, and then I use my thumb to press the, the volume button. And so, but this is an option that you have to turn on. It's off by default. So you have to go into the settings and turn on the option to to use the volume up button for burst mode. Would you believe me if I told you that I've never taken a selfie? I would because you've told me that before. And I think that, that um, uh, it's good that you live in your, your 18th century uh, 19th century uh, <laughs> farmhouse. 19th century, and your, <laughs> 19th century yes. ways. Um, and someday, someday we'll get you to, uh, you know what we should do? We should be have like, like w once we pass a certain number of, of subscribers or something, uh, we'll make you take a selfie. Okay. When we get to a million downloads. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. How about our snapshots? Snapshots. Let's go in a different direction. I have a new lens for my Fuji camera. Ooh. Which is, actually, I've not bought a lens in a very long time. I've mostly had like a little, uh, little pancake lens, and my workhorse is, is an eighteen to one thirty-five millimeter lens, and I've always wanted a fixed wide aperture lens, and I've lusted over the Fuji fifty-two millimeter one point two. However, it's a thousand bucks, and I. I can't justify that. So what I got instead is a Viltrox 52 millimeter 1.4. Now, this is like an off-brand lens. And I've always, you know, been a little hesitant about things that are not Fuji branded because Fuji makes really good lenses. However, and it's a manual lens too. No, actually, this is an auto uh, autofocus lens. Ah, okay. Ah. I remember not long ago Fuji said that they were going to allow third parties to make autofocus lenses. So this must be the first. Exactly. It's 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 one of the first. Um, okay. And 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 so Viltrox, I think I'm not sure if they were the first company to start releasing autofocus lenses. Uh, for, for Fuji, but they, they might have been one of the early ones. They, they have an, an 85 millimeter, uh, I think 1.8, that is also uh, pretty well regarded. Anyway, I did some research on this, and a lot of the, the reviews and the YouTube videos that I saw indicate that um, the image quality is just slightly better with the Fuji lens, but the autofocus is much faster. And uh, basically, for $325, which is what I paid for this, you are getting almost the same quality as the, the, the Fuji lens. And so I thought, okay, for $325 to have an f1.4 lens so I can make that background super blurry whenever I want, <laughs> um, I would give it a try. So I've only had this for about a week. I haven't done a whole lot of shooting with it, but um, it's it's really well made. It's like it's it's metal. It's got good construction. Um, uh, so far, it seems great. 
It's pretty inexpensive here, too. It's only 300 pounds. So as you were saying you got a new lens, I was going to say, wow, what would be the coincidence if we both got the same new lens? Oh, um, it's oh. not going to be my snapshot this week, but oh, okay. I bought the 35mm 1.4 Fuji lens. Ah. Um, they had a cashback offer, and I'd wanted that lens for a while. Um, I have The problem I have with the F2 35mm is it's, it's relatively small, and I like to do both auto and manual focusing, and the 35mm is a little bit wider. It's got a longer focus area. Um, I got this two weeks ago. The weather's been so bad, I've like hardly taken any photos. So I'll bring it up as a snapshot at some point in the future. So what's your snapshot this week? This is an interesting series of connections. And it, it, it's not because of something that you posted in our Facebook group, but it's related. Um, you posted in the Facebook group the other day um, this thing about a very detailed photo of a snowflake. Ah, yes. It was on either DP Review or Petapixel. Um, the person who shot this photo is Nathan Mirvold. He's a former Microsoft guy. Now, it just so happens that I ordered last week a cookbook um, that Nathan Mirvold, uh, you're making the face, yes. <laughs> you know about this, that Nathan Mirvold is involved in called Modernist Bread. It's five volumes, 2,600 pages, weighs 50 pounds. I haven't gotten it yet. I ordered it from Amazon US. Um, because I've been making a lot more bread lately and I'm, I'm the guy who wants to know how it works. Oh, yeah. And so he, he created this food lab. The first cookbook was called Modernist Cuisine, and they did all these tests, empirical tests, to find out why things work the way they do. But one of the extraordinary things in both of these cookbooks is the quality of the photos. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the Modernist Cuisine Gallery, which shows some of the photos. They even sell prints and posters. Mm -hmm. um, but my real snapshot is a book called The Photography of Modernist Cuisine, um, 312 pages, 405 photos. It's 14 by 18 inches, so that's 33 by 42 centimeters. Weighs 12 pounds on 200 gram paper. I mean, the photos here are exquisite. I don't know if I'll actually buy the, the book of photography because um, some of it actually explains how they shot the photos. Mm -hmm. So there's that interest. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this cookbook because the photos in it, a lot of really close-up photos of bread and, and different ingredients. And then in the first one, Modernist Cuisine, it's all types of food. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens when you make millions and millions and millions of dollars working at Microsoft and you have a photography interest. Yes. Um, yeah. So. Well, the story is that while he was still working at Microsoft, he took time off to go study cooking in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he left Microsoft, he had millions and millions and millions of dollars and created this big food lab and hired a bunch of people. It's got this huge, you know, industry there. And, and the, I think the Modernist Cuisine Cookbook sold 200,000 copies and it won awards. And wow. I mean, this is expensive. I'll put a link in the show notes to Amazon US. Um, I believe it lists $625. The price was... 500 and something, but there was a little button to click when I ordered to, to, to apply a coupon to save $175. Oh, wow. Now, I don't think that's there anymore because I looked this morning, but ah. I'll put a link anyway. Um, it, it turned out to be 75 pounds cheaper than if I bought it here in the UK. Um, I'm waiting for it to ship. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing. You know, we're, we're sort of harping on, on the money side of this, but um, the, the stuff that he's been able to do... Uh, because he has these resources and because he's a good photographer, you really get interesting, uh, you know, food shots. I mean, th these are not going to be the uh, the iPhone snaps that you take at a restaurant. Um, They're not the kind of food shots you see on Instagram. 
Exactly, exactly. They're 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 very uh, well posed and scientifically arrived at, and uh, just a delight to look at. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.